Welcome to the podcast from Eden Worship Center. Because we believe that it is God's Word that does God's work in God's people, we want you to hear the gospel preached in the gathering of believers. We want you to read it for yourself and to join us as we think together and talk together about the sermon from this past week and what's going on in our world. You can join the conversation by sending in your comments and questions to EdenWC at Hotmail.com. May God cause His Word to come alive in your heart today. All right, well, welcome to our midweek podcast. Uh, Pastor Matt here. Pastor Harold. We are doing a a little bit different location for those of you who can see the video, because it is freezing in our conference room, so we are meeting in the warm office. Warm is good. It is much better than sitting, I, I think it was like 54 degrees in that room. And the good news is it's another day closer to spring. We've had Christmas, uh, New Year's is coming on Saturday, and it's another day closer to spring. It seems a little early to be celebrating spring, but we'll take it. That's okay. Oh, well, you know, sometimes when you get older, you think of these things. That's the great thing about being a baseball fan is spring training starts so early oh, that no. you can actually start talking about spring when everybody else is like, no, it's freezing, it's cold. Plus, Lord willing, if I get my tickets, I'll be going to Puerto Rico end of January where it'll be warm. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. What are you going to Puerto Rico for? Um, hopefully do some work with uh, police chaplains down there and opening the door and... Uh, yeah, it looks like we're going to have an opportunity to meet with some pretty high-level people in the Puerto Rican government who are very interested in in seeing police chaplaincy expanded. Okay. So maybe for those who don't know any idea why you would go to Puerto Rico and have anything to do with police chaplains, why would you go to Puerto Rico and have anything to do with police chaplains? <laughs> well, I've been a police chaplain since 2005, been with the Indiana State Police also since 2017. And because of what you found in the International Conference of Police Chaplains... Became when we were in, looking for training. When we were looking for yeah. training, because when my town marshal asked me to do this, I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> he said, I don't either, but we're going to figure it out. So... We were looking for training, and you found uh, ICPC, the International Conference of Police Chaplains, got involved. And I am currently uh, the chairman of their international committee. So part of it is— Very big deal. uh, A huge deal. It's not that big a deal. Uh, Now, how many autographs have you had to hand out? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you mean on checks when I've paid for things? Yeah. So photographers no, it, following you? Around. No paparazzi's. Okay. Uh, but it is a it's a blessing. It's an opportunity, and so we've been able to do some things. You've been along as we've been in the Philippines and done some um, great training with the Philippine National Police, and it looks like doors are opening up in Puerto Rico. And quite frankly, I'm trying to work myself out of a job. Yeah? Um, What does that mean? Well, that means that, you know, I've told the leadership of ICPC that I think that the International Committee should be headed up by someone other than a chaplain from the United States. Okay. So they were very gracious. International feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, One of the things that has helped is because we've traveled so much internationally— 
you begin to understand more of the international culture, how not to go in and be the ugly American. We have this tendency of, you know, we know how to do everything bigger and better than everybody else, so just get out of the way. And what we need internationally is to be able to go alongside. And and in fact, um, I'm working on um, a a questionnaire-type thing to help us when we go into a country to assess where's that country at, what do they need from us, so that we're not coming in and saying, hey, we're going to do this for you and this for you, and you need this. Right, we're the people with all the answers. Yeah. You poor people just sit back and and listen to our great wisdom. And as Americans, we tend to do that That, kind of thing. That's the ugly American syndrome you were talking about. Exactly. Thinking we are the hero. Yeah. you know, there's several hundred chaplains in Puerto Rico that are looking for training. Uh, so that's a that's really an exciting opportunity. And apparently we're going to be meeting with uh, uh, some of the top people in their national police force. So we'll see what happens Good. on that. So Good. Awesome. awesome. All that to talk about spring, and it's getting warm. Spring. Yes. Yeah. It's coming. Yes, with our first snow yesterday and here in northeast Indiana, and accidents all oh, over man. the place. Yeah. It was terrible. Drive like responsible people, everybody. That's our encouragement to you. Drive <laughs> drive like you live in Indiana. Oh, man. I yeah. don't know. seems like the first snow, everybody loses their minds. They do. They do. Drives crazy. You know, one of the things, in all seriousness, um, I have just so loved this Christmas season. Now, I know Jesus wasn't born on December 24th, but that's the day that Or we, 25th. Or 25th. That's true. Either, either one where you celebrate Christmas. Well, <laughs> or January 6th. Where, well, that's, that's where they celebrate the coming of the wise men. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I know those weren't the dates. In all likelihood, it was probably October, right. I would guess. But be that as it may... You know, what what a blessing. I I have so enjoyed the Christmas season this year, and I don't know what it is, uh, but this one has been very special. And I know in part we've got some very dear friends. We've got some people uh, who are part of this church who have been facing significant health challenges. And I found myself just praying literally every day for these people by name and just praying that this would be just a joyous Christmas for them. And I know that there's some who are who are terminal mm-hmm. and that just puts a whole different view and feel on on Christmas. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, what a blessing to just to be able to celebrate. One of the things we talked about as we talk about the Christmas story, uh, how things have changed in our culture. You tell a kid today that I want to tell you a Bible story. For me growing up, and I think for you and your generation, you heard it's a Bible story. You intuitively know it's true. Yeah. Kids— This is a story from the Bible, and it's a true story. It's a true story. Yeah. Uh, The sad reality is that for most kids today, you tell them, you want to tell them a Bible story, in their minds, they don't necessarily think it's true. Mm-hmm. They they may think myth or fable. Yeah. And it's so important, I believe, for us to just constantly say, this is a story from the Bible. This is true. This really did happen. Yeah. Uh, so I heard, we went to a Christmas Eve service, and... Uh, 
one of the things that the pastor did was gathered all the kids up and was, was talking about that very thing that, uh, this is a true story. And a lot of people hear story and, and they, they think, Oh, this is a made up story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so much of our culture is, uh, entertainment driven. So, uh, what's made up, what's, what's make believe and what's real, what's that you see it when you watch a movie and it's like based on a true story yeah. or, Based on actual events, which means this is not a true story, but the events happened and we've this is historical fiction. Uh, any anything in between, and we tend to get a little confused on on what we're actually seeing and hearing. Exactly. And, uh, he was trying to explain to the kids this is a true story, and he says, uh, "And why is it true? Because the Bible says it's true, which is th- true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's." That's not the type of answer that's going to see us through college years or something like that, where you go and someone is actively trying to deconstruct your faith, mm-hmm. and you have to know, yes, we believe the Bible, but it, you better you better have a whole bunch of other steps of why is the Bible reliable? Uh, what's the other uh, historical evidence? What what are some of the significant features and characters that are in this story that are also in historical events? Yes, uh, historical accounts. And as we give more and more evidence for the existence of Christ, the birth of Christ, the the promises of the Old Testament, which that that was the scripture this week, looking mm-hmm. at uh, the Psalm Old Testament, Psalm ninety eight, yeah, and this promise coming forward of. Uh, a savior who would come, uh, what that would look like, that the the king has come, joy to the world. Uh, if that's true, we have to have more than for the Bible tells me so. Yeah, and you know, as you were talking, I was just reminded of, of the great work that J. Warner Wallace has done. Yeah. Uh, J. Warner Wallace is a former uh, L.A. cold case murder detective that We've had the privilege of hearing a couple of times. Um, he was not a Christian. He had family members who were pushing him and to shut him up. He took yeah. his investigative... Right. I'm going to prove this isn't true. Yes. That, yeah. that was his design. So like he would, he would investigate a cold case murder, he took those principles, those steps, and applied that because he was going to disprove it. Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, pretty phenomenal stuff. His his books are out there. Yeah, I think Cold Case Christianity Cold is his Case, first one. It was the Super first one. Good. Yeah, really good. Easy to read. Uh, highly recommend it because you're right. Because we understand in a church setting, well, we say it's the Bible. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. We understand that's true. But you get outside of the organized church, if you please, you're yeah. suddenly bombarded and you don't have any common ground because they don't accept the Bible as the authoritative word of God. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It, you know, it's sad. Uh, I was just thinking as you were saying that uh, Christmas seems to be this time of year where families sort of huddle together. No matter what mm-hmm. your thought on family, no matter your structure, your type of family, they, they sort of huddle together. And Christian families, especially around, like everybody knows, well, this is about Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, that this, this time's about Jesus. But if you're not preparing your kids with all of the arguments that are going to be thrown at them that says, Jesus isn't real, Jesus isn't God, all of that faith that you grew up in is made up. If you're not preparing them with the arguments that are to come in scriptural and historical 
uh, apologies, arguments exactly. against that, uh, they're going to get into late high school. They're, they're going to go to college because you can, you can insulate them, right? You can uh, mm-hmm. keep them from ever hearing those arguments or, or uh, where you sort of put them up as a straw man, like, oh, stupid people say this. And then they go to college and they meet the smartest people they've ever met in their life. And you're like, wait a minute, these aren't stupid people saying this. These people are smarter than anyone I know. They're saying this. Whoa, I should back up and look at it. A yeah. great example of that is our granddaughter who ended up for less than a week. Fortunately, she had the good sense to leave, but she's in this university where one of her professors says, my goal is to talk you out of everything you've ever believed so that when you get done with this class, you believe in nothing. I thought, the lunacy of that, Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to pay college tuition to, to listen to that, but that's a reality of what is out there. And especially as it relates to Christmas time, it's like, they're turning Jesus into a religious celestial Santa Claus. Yeah. And everybody knows Santa Claus isn't real. Yeah. So here you've got all these underlying things. There's also a progression that goes on. You know, when we're kids, we have a faith that's very sincere, but it's a faith that is based on the faith of our parents. Yeah, borrowed. Yeah. And uh, rightfully so. Rightfully so, and wonderfully so. And so parents pour into your kids, just understand, they hit those teenage years, and they're exploring who they are, trying to discover their identity. They push against all the limits, and they complain, but they push because they want to know that the limits are there. What's real. Yeah. Yeah, they want to know what's real. So now, suddenly they're moving from that period where they've operated on the faith of their parents or their grandparents to now what is it that I believe? Yeah. Throw them into then a secular uh, setting where you have an authority figure in a school, whether it's a high school teacher or a university who is antagonistic towards the things of God. Now suddenly, there is no basis for this child to be able to say, okay, what do I really believe? And it's like you said, they go, well, maybe I just need to pull back here. Mm -hmm. Which it tends to be the, the, I think it's the temptation, it's the monastic temptation that that you saw with like the monks and the monasteries of the world is evil, I'm going to pull back from Mm -hmm. this world, I'm going to insulate and isolate, and I mean... Some some would say, well, that's why uh, we don't put our kids in this kind of educational system, uh, which, hey, I totally get the logic of that. Um, and this is why we would only send them to a Christian college, uh, except mom went to a Christian college at Goshen College. And I told your brother that was the one college he wasn't going to go to. <laughs> right, right. Because they wanted him to come play tennis for him. I said, you will not go to that one. Well, yeah, McKay had a... Uh, a volleyball volleyball scholarship offer, and we told the coach, absolutely not. Like your Bible b- professors don't believe the Bible's real. Yeah, uh, like that. It's it's not a Christian college, so you can you can insulate, 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 and at some point they're going to get a job. Mm-hmm. So you can either hope that they work with complete dummies who <laughs> aren't the smartest people they've ever met. So every argument you're like, you're an idiot. I'm not listening to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at some point they're going to come face to face with wrestling. Do I believe this? Is the evidence strong enough? Uh, you know, what, what is that compelling argument? And if we haven't prepared them for that, uh, 
yeah. we've done them a disservice. And see, I, I think that's an exciting thing. And and parents, rather than us becoming uh, paranoid, as it were, and fearful, going, oh, no, oh, no, what's going to happen? We need to re- just embrace the reality of life. And this is an exciting opportunity. And to begin to build those things into Absolutely. them now to say, okay, what's your basis? What do you believe and why you believe it? I, you know, I have a, a great thing that comes to mind. After I graduated from high school, I went into Mennonite voluntary service, which was an alternative to the draft. Uh, you didn't go to the military because we were Mennonites, mm-hmm. and we didn't believe in that. We didn't know why we didn't believe in it, <laughs> but, you know, and if you lived in LaGrange County and you were Amish or you were Mennonite, yeah, they just stamped your paper and you you went through as a conscientious objector. Right. And I remember during a two-week orientation in Elkhart, they brought in, and these were Mennonite pastors, and they, they made up a mock draft board, and we didn't know what was going on. I was so thankful that I didn't get called on and put in the hot seat because there were kids that they grilled and had them in tears. Oh, about why they believed what they... About why they believed. Right. And, and they were reduced to tears because they didn't know. You know, all all we'd ever been given is, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. And if you're not operating on the scriptures as being the final concrete word, yeah. what, what then becomes your basis of discussion, the apologetics that you talked about, right. so that we know what we believe and why we believe it. And I would say, if your kids' parents are in a public school and they have non-Christian teachers, don't freak out. Use that as an opportunity while you've got them at home to just pour into them, begin to give them the tools, begin to ask the questions. They'll say, okay, what do you believe? Why do you believe it? Talk about this, well, what, why you believe it. Yeah, you can use the scriptures, but why else? Mm-hmm. You know, you get you get things like J. Warner Wallace says the the evidence is is overwhelming. And was Josh McDowell's book, The Case for Christ? Mm-hmm. You know, here again, here was someone who was not a believer, but the evidence is overwhelming. Yeah, I don't think Case for Christ isn't Josh McDowell. No, Josh McDowell is uh, evidence that demands Man's a, verdict. a verdict. Yeah, and more than a carpenter. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, Case for Christ is another great example. In fact, they made a movie of it, of mm-hmm. you know this. I think it was Chicago Tribune um, is who he worked for and wanted yeah. to debunk the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, disprove it. And mm-hmm. the evidence is compelling. And, and so, uh, you know, I was also thinking, and I know we want to get into some of. Do the... we? Do we want to talk about the sermon? <laughs> it doesn't feel like it. Uh, the the preacher was pretty boring Sunday. In fact, <laughs> um, but I, I was just... like a father to me though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless you, my son. Uh, but uh, what I was going to say that was really serious, I was going to put in a plug for our biblical foundations, because yeah. there's a in that class, there is this great segment where we talk about the scriptures, and you talk about the books of antiquity, how many original copies we have, uh, and how how recent were they to the events? I mean, you know, like, Caesar's history of Gallic Wars, I think there's only like four or five copies, and the latest copy was like a thousand years after it happened. Well, you get to scriptures, we have multiplied 
thousands of copies dating back to within a hundred years of the New Testament church. It, it is overwhelming. Yeah, compared to every other ancient document, mm-hmm. the historical evidence for the scripture is overwhelming. And all of the uh, history channel version of, oh, the scripture has been copied and recopied so many times, we don't know what it, it said. The exact opposite is true. Yeah. Because we have so many, uh, we don't have any original uh scripts where you know they actually wrote it by hand which i think is god's design because what the church would do is build a shrine and worship it and oh yes and and then we could take uh pilgrimages we could take a pilgrimage there yes and And we could take a tour yeah get a few thousand years knocked off of purgatory it'll work out great (laughs) but instead we have thousands and thousands and thousands of these copies that match each other so we can actually replicate exactly what it said yeah and and what is it i i believe with like 98 percent accuracy yeah to be able to reconstruct yeah word for word word for word which is there is another no other book of antiquity now the difference is no other book claims to be the Word of God. Yeah. So that's a significant that difference. That is a significant difference, but the overwhelming el- evidence of what we have. But, so let's look at the Word of God, yeah. shall we? Well, what a unique thing to do. Joy yeah. to the world. Uh, you know, we sing that song uh, every year. And as I was preparing some things, actually, a number of years ago, discovered that Joy to the World wasn't even written as a Christmas carol. Yeah. And I'm not exactly sure when it was, uh, you know, transitioned and did become that Christmas carol that that we love so much. But it was written by Isaac Watts, who I thought was interesting character. Born, and I'm a history lover. Those of you that know me know this. So he's born about sixteen, what, sixteen seventy four. He's the oldest of nine children, named after his father, who was actually in jail when he's born, because he was a a nonconformist. You know, one of the early uh, reformers of the church. So you're you're talking about uh, just after the time of the Reformation, about a hundred years yep. after the Reformation. Yep. And so you have things like the Church of England, which sprouts up Mm -hmm. uh, because the King of England wanted to get a divorce. And so he splits less because of theological purity and more because he wanted to get a divorce again, because it's easier than cutting your wife's head off. That's that's well, it's what less found. messy. It's less. Yeah, I don't know. Have you seen divorce? <laughs> it does not seem to be. <laughs> I'll tell you messy. what. When it comes to divorce, the only one who ever wins, the lawyers, the lawyers, and the ones who always lose are the kids. Yeah, yeah. Amazing thing about Isaac Watts, and I was just well. Know, so the the Church of England, yeah. has has established itself. As a state church. So if you were living in England and claimed to be a Christian, you had to belong to the Church of England. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, not necessarily based on theological purity, but because of... uh, You were a child of the realm. Yeah. And so uh, the king is the head of the church. In fact, still today, the The queen queen is is the head of the Church of England. Mm -hmm. And uh, as as the Reformation starts to get legs about 100 years after that, they're saying, man... uh, there are some scriptural principles that we have to stand upon, not just go with what the state church says. And so they were not conforming 
to yeah. what the Church of England was was requiring, so therefore nonconformist. And they, so he wasn't in jail because he like knocked over a liquor store or something like that. <laughs> no, uh, these nonconformists were really the forerunners of what we would know today as the early Presbyterians or Baptists. Yeah. That, that's some of the roots of those denominations. Uh, but young Isaac was interesting, and I, and I got to thinking about this. I mentioned this Sunday that in my research I found out I mean, he'd learned Latin when he was four years old. <laughs> then I thought, who taught him? Yeah. Had to have amazing parents who taught him that. Uh, he learned Greek by the time he was nine. I'm 74. I still don't know Greek. It's all Greek to me. <laughs> uh, they had some refugee neighbors who spoke French. By the time he's 11, he's learned French to be able to communicate with them. It's amazing what kids can learn. Um, and we could... We could digress here, which would not be good, uh, and talk about education today and what's happening. But yeah, how much smarter we are today than those dumb people from a few hundred years ago oh, who spoke 11 languages or something like that. I know. It's, it's just— Aren't you glad we're smart and we have the interwebs? Yeah, what would we do without Siri, you know? <laughs> Siri! <laughs> but anyway, you know, he ends up— um, when he's 16, he's offered, here again, you talked about the dilemma of being part of the Church of England, and here are people, because he's so smart, want to send him to Cambridge or Oxford and pay for it, which would mean he is on his way into the Anglican ministry. Right, he would go through their divinity school and then yeah. become an Anglican priest. And so he said no to that and uh, um, went off and was part of, what did I see, the London Mark Lane Independent, which was a congregational type church but write 750 hymns oh my Prolific. good yeah. yeah we're doing one of them sunday are we what are we yeah. doing uh well songs like when i survey the wondrous oh god cross. our help in ages past oh yeah uh oh, considering man. it's new year's sunday and thinking about uh god's faithfulness in the past our hope for years to come yes uh, we've done our this shelter from the stormy blast several times before but i when you were when you were listening to them on Sunday, I heard someone behind me go, I think I've heard that one. I'm like, oh, man, we got to do that more often. Yeah. They, I mean, they sound a little old, but these are these are singable truths that the church has held on to for a few hundred years. Well, and it's, it's truths that they've not only held on to, but have held on to them during yeah. the tough times. Yeah. Um, because when you're going through that, you, you need to be reminded of the faithfulness of God. Um, you know, he's been our shelter and he will be our shelter in the days to come. Yeah. So just some great things. And here again, I, I think of him, I think of the Wesleys, uh, how prolific they were in writing these hymns yeah. and the, just putting down on paper these great declarations of, of the scripture. Um, so actually... He writes Joy to the World, which is based on Psalm 98. Right. And it's got nothing to do with shepherds, wise men, or anything like that. But Yeah, in fact, it, it feels like it's peeled out, because we just finished our Revelation series, it feels like it's peeled out of Revelation rather than Luke 2. Yeah. So Luke 2 is where the Christmas story is found. Uh, Revelation is where uh, Christ, the victorious judge of all the nations, returns uh, that's what this psalm feels like. Oh, yeah, and it, it's coming out of this time of of hardship 
And the psalmist just begins by saying, sing a new song to the Lord, you know, because he's done wondrous things. The first three verses here are really celebrating the coming of the Deliverer. And, And part of the joy to the world is that God is fulfilling his promise that goes back to Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, of sending a Redeemer, yeah. and he is coming. Yeah. So Psalm 98 is celebrating that. And then you get down into verses 4 through 6, it's celebrating, you know, we're shouting joyfully to the Lord. Boy, what a, what a crazy thing. We don't do that in church, because... We're saved. Very dignified. We're very dignified. I was thinking as we were reading those verses on Sunday, how interesting it is that the whole heart and design behind that was this echo out of Psalm 98, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Mm -hmm. So not just making a joyful noise like, yeah, things are good, but joyful to the Lord, all the earth, break forth into joyous songs, sing praises, uh, sing praises to the Lord, make a joyful noise. And then, uh, before the king, the Lord, and then you walk into Walmart and Christmas music is playing and they don't even know what they're doing. They don't know what they're hearing and broadcast to the public is joy to the world. The The Lord Lord has come. come. And even, even remove it where it's elevator music and it's just the music to it. Only everybody knows that Everybody knows that joy to the world part. Well, and it's it, it's like I I chuckle because somebody I I've had them say Merry Christmas go oh sorry sorry I can't say that Happy Holidays and I'm thinking Happy Holidays you're saying Happy Holy Days is what right. you're really saying and you don't even know it Holy Days because of the Advent the coming of Christ of the coming of Christ exactly yeah, real good celebrating <laughs> the King shouting to the Lord um, and then. The last several verses, um, seven through nine, where it's just celebrating his rule over all. Yeah. Let the sea roar and all that it contains, the world that dwells in it. You know, it, it just reminiscent of what Paul writes to the Colossians, that were all things were created in him, through him, and for him, and in him all things hold together. Yeah. And all those things were subjected to frustration yeah. and are longing for this yeah. revelation of the sons of God, longing for this day when Christ comes as victorious, conquering king and hits the reset button. Who's going to rule and reign forever. Yeah. Which, which, by the way, you know, when Jesus spoke to the winds and the waves on the Sea of Galilee, they had to obey him. Yeah. They had no choice. They were created in him, through him, and for him. He held them together. Yep. Unlike us as people who were created in his image, and we just say, nope, I'm doing my own thing. Well, I don't know that that's exactly true. We we do say, we I'll say do it, my own thing. Uh, but he doesn't let us get away with that's it. That's exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. And aren't we glad? Yeah. Yeah, amen. Aren't we glad? That, that's the idea. That, In fact, it, it strikes me as interesting. Every time uh, somebody prays for somebody else, for their salvation, I mean, think about what we're praying. God, override their yes. free will. <laughs> override what they want, what their desire is for their life. Change it. Change it to your will. Like, that's a... That's a really strong way to pray that we, we're not even aware of as we're praying it. Uh, and then even if we don't see it in this lifetime, at the end, we have this promise that every knee will bow and every tongue mm-hmm. confess. So when Jesus, the triumphal entry, he's coming in and they're, they 
tell him, tell your disciples like to stop shouting Hosanna as you walk in. He's like, guys, if they don't shout it, the rocks are going to cry out. Like, and wouldn't that freak out the crowds? It's going to happen. <laughs> and it, and I, I think that it's an important point to say the same is true for us. It's going to happen. Every knee will bow, whether they want to or not. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the end, they're going to they're gonna look back and see God was the sovereign director and ruler of every step that happened. And, it, and see, I've always believed that, uh, and I made a joke of saying, well, God's going to have to break a lot of knees to get them to fall on their knees. But I think the reality is that as they see the magnificence of Jesus Christ revealed in his glory and splendor, uh, they will actually go willingly into their eternal punishment. Well, and it, look at what we read at the end of Revelation. Oh, yeah. Uh, he rules them with an iron scepter. He crushes the nation. Yeah. Like that idea of, of breaking knees, that's not a stretch. And it, man, what a call for like what you hear nowadays. Let's be on the right side of history. Let's be on the right side of eternity. Exactly. Well, you know, the, the last few mornings, there's... I just say it. I got a brother who grew up in church and knows, and and I've just been praying, God, would you just pursue him with a love that will not let him go? Yeah. And call to mind those things that were there. Um, Man, what a great thing that God doesn't save us because we're smart enough or good enough, uh, because we've had enough practical life experience. It It is the love and grace of God that opens our eyes to see the see the gospel, see the greatness of Christ. So when we pray for somebody, it's not it's not condescending. It's actually out of great love yeah. to say, "Man, God, we love these people. These are awesome people." Yeah, and, it, Show and it's them not glory. praying. Sometimes you get sibling rivalry that goes on here, and that's not the issue. You know, prove to them I'm right, and they're wrong. <laughs> I've been trying to tell them. Thick-headed lummox, <laughs> right? But it's not that. I mean, they're 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 great people. They are people who are created in the image of God with gifts and abilities and graces, uh, but they're lost. And and isn't it great? I was thinking, right? We were and talking- lost not not because of intelligence. Like I, I think we should be super clear on this. Lost <clears throat> because Scripture says it's what you believe about Christ. How you have submitted mm-hmm. to him. Exactly. Uh, what what it looks like to repent of your sins, to put your trust in Christ alone for salvation. That is the only metric by which we measure uh, our standing in eternity. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And it, it can't just be some philosophical or intellectual head belief. It it has to be that kind of belief that changes the heart, that determines our actions, that submit and surrender to the authority of Scripture. Well, and that's what we're looking for in people. Exactly. And and to go back to my well-worn phrase, um, you know, when we get a revelation, not just information, but we get a revelation of who Jesus is, it brings illumination where he shines his light of truth into the darkness of my heart that results in my transformation. And my life is not changed until I've had a revelation of him where his light, his love, his truth shines into the darkness of my heart. The greatest favor God ever does for us, I think, is to show us how lost we are without yeah. him. Yeah. And as I respond to that, that brings about transformation. Yeah. And I and then we can speak about it with alliteration. <laughs> 
and illuminate. <laughs> that was a gift. <laughs> I, I actually think this is an important thing, looking at Psalm 98, Joy to the World, mm-hmm. uh, because there's a lot of people who have friends and loved ones and family members who aren't walking with Christ or uh, have rejected the truth claims of the Scripture, have rejected Christ as the only means of salvation. And the temptation can be, well, yeah, but they're a good person. Like like they would never apply this in any mm-hmm. other thing except this person that they really love. Well, they're a good person. I think they're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And, and on some level, we really have to come face to face with a terrifying reality that apart from Christ, we all stand condemned. Exactly. And so mm-hmm. uh, we are loving in a way that points to Christ. We are uh, encouraging in a way that points to Christ, not not that points to um, peace in any given situation or let's, like, I, I don't want a disruption in workplace or family. Uh, like, eternity is on the line, and we need to be loving them, encouraging them, talking to them, interacting with them in a way that points to the love of Jesus in the gift of repentance, not like, hey, you're a super awesome person, and I don't want to experience a separation because the day of separation is it's coming. coming. Yeah, and and I think it goes without saying that before we have those conversations, we better be praying. Yeah, and as you were talking, I was just thinking of Elisha and his servant. Do you remember that that time when Elisha's servant opens the front door? And here is the enemy that is there that has come to take him captive and to kill him. And he's in panic. And then Elisha prays for him that his eyes will be opened. Uh, And I would say, you know, as we're praying for loved ones, you just pray aggressively, pray almost militantly, if that's not too strong a word, that God open the eyes of their understanding that they can see. Elisha praise for his servant. Servant didn't say, oh, pray for me, Elisha. I don't mm-hmm. know what we're going to do. Elijah says, he just prays for him. And God opens his eyes, and when he does, he sees that the the mountains are filled with the, uh, the chariots and the warriors of God, uh, those who are uh, with <laughs> us. a lot more with us than those who are, are against, against us. us. And it's that. So what I, I think what happens is we get caught up in the emotion, and so we end up having what we want to be uh, a conversation that ends up being an argument. Right. Uh, and, boy, it, it's got to start with, as we pray for them, God open their eyes to see. Because if he doesn't open their eyes to see, it doesn't yeah. matter what we say. Yeah. Uh, it's going to deteriorate into an argument. Yeah. And that will bring further alienation. But if God opens their eyes, and we're praying that at the beginning of the process, we're praying that in the middle of the process, we're praying that at the end of the process, all the way through right. God, open their eyes. Not to see that I'm right, they're wrong, but in your mercy and your grace, save them. Yeah, um, You just used a really important word that I think is uh, something to just point at and land on a little bit, and the word process. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. So many times we're like, man, this person is going through this. 
I need, and then we just back the truck up, the truck of truth, and go, you know, like the little beep, 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 and, and then we, we dump, dump on them everything yeah. that we have at one go because we think the magnitude of our words is what's going to change their heart rather than the sovereignty mm-hmm. of God, the grace mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of the same thing where we're walking in Walmart and we hear Joy to the World uh, playing over the loudspeaker. Uh, we shouldn't necessarily view that as this is our one and only opportunity. Uh, rather, like, I think it'd be great to be in Walmart and go, man, God, there are people who don't know you who are listening to this. Um, and we just start praying them right then of your kingship, yeah, convince them of their need for you, like that. Just, just a simple, like, I'm taking every moment and bending it towards the gospel. And I think if we do that, we, we feel a little less panicky, like, I have to do the whole thing when we do that. We've wrongly believed that salvation belongs to me. Well, it's I have to say the right and thing. And unfortunately, in, over the years in the church, we have we have created that mindset in people. Yeah, you know where we feel like they got to share the gospel, see people respond and come to faith, and it all happens within fifteen minutes. Right. And um, that's unfortunate because it's got to be it's got to be God doing the work. It's got to be God drawing them. And um, we get to be part of that process, but it is a process over a period of time. Um, and, I, you know, I, I look back, there are some individuals that I come to mind, I won't use their names, but were incredibly antagonistic towards me. Jason. <laughs> is that who you were thinking? No, I was thinking of another guy. Um, and the glorious thing is, at the end of his life, I was able to pray with him, help him find peace with God, step into eternity with assurance of mm-hmm. salvation, um, and actually did his funeral. Right. And here was a man that hated me, but over a period of years, God tore down the barriers. And it, and it's the old John Maxwell uh saying that people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And we demonstrate the love of Christ again yeah. and again. Good. And we don't take things personally as in a personal attack against us, which is hard it is. not to do that. But time just breaks down some things. And, um, yeah, I'll never forget the day this individual called and said, I didn't know where else to go but to you. And... That began a process, and praise God to actually baptize him in his own swimming pool, right? Um, because he'd come to a re- genuine faith in Jesus Christ. So it's process. Yeah, it it's is. It's process. It is. So we got joy to the world going on here. <laughs> we do. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts on sermon stuff? Stuff from Sunday that really kind of jumped out at you. Well, the simplicity of of why joy, and I don't. One of the things that I talked about, I remember, was that Jesus comes as a sacrifice for sin. But when Adam and Eve sinned, several things happened. One, sin and death came in to the world, and with that came a curse, mm-hmm. where God says, "Cursed is the ground because of you." And the thing that had so impressed upon me was that the Old Testament sacrificial system 
addressed the sin uh, and the sin offering, but it was only for one year where Jesus comes and not just as a baby in a manger, he comes as the king in the form of a baby. And he didn't grow to become a king. He came as the king. Yeah. Uh, but he came for the cross, came for our redemption. And, you know, this, the sin offering only covered sin. Jesus took it away. But the sin offering did nothing to address the curse. And that's what, what I love, what Paul writes to the Galatians, and, and I referred to this, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, by becoming a curse for us. Right. So that that's part of the good news of great joy that's to us is not only redemption, but I heard one preacher say he's putting the curse in reverse. Well, he's not putting it in reverse, he's breaking it. Yeah. And we well, and it so I, I was thinking about that quote on Sunday because I uh, have heard that quote a lot, putting the curse in reverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think sometimes we are we're a little theologically inaccurate when yeah. we uh, apply something like that. And then we, then we point all the way back to Genesis 3, the fall. So uh, cursed is the ground because of you. Cursed is the pain in childbirth because mm-hmm. of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all of these things, that fundamental changes that came uh, to this world, to our bodies, to everything around it. We go, in Christ, all of that is set back. And if you just walk in enough faith... You can experience this like precursed state of life because this is really what God had intended. Except the curse of the law was this, uh, okay, well, if if you eat of this, it was God's promise to them, if you eat of this, you will die mm-hmm. because sin comes into the world, contamination comes in, uh, that whole idea of uh, us being unable to perfectly live out the righteousness that God requires. And so he gives his law to say, by the way, this is what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. This is the requirement. And if you don't live up to this, you're cursed. You're cut off. You're mm-hmm. you're alienated from God, mm-hmm. alienated from his people. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of those things, um, and, and we talked about this, I think, last time we had the podcast, where those who were uh, born outside of uh, a legitimate marriage— uh, we're excluded, excluded for, for, for fifty generations. Yeah, generations. Yeah. Where it, it's not just you. Like my great 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 great. You know, you, you can't say enough. Great grandpas did this, and therefore I can't go to church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't come before God. And in Christ, that is done away with. Like all of the requirements, all of the uh, verdicts against us, it, it says He took them away and nailed them to the cross in His flesh. Well, I, I like. What Paul Tripp says, um, we've been going through this year uh, his daily devotional book, um, New Morning Mercies yep. or something like that, uh, and periodically, and, and in the reading for today, he talks about, and I may not be getting this quite right, so help me out on this, but he talk about the already but not yet. Yep. We, leave, we live between things here. Yes. So, and I, as you were talking about Jesus and the sin and breaking the curse, uh, we have misunderstood and said, you know, I'm in Christ now, so the the curse is still gone. But the reality is I still am subject to aging. Yep. So yeah. that hasn't changed. And uh, I don't know of anybody besides Jesus and Enoch that has gotten out of this world alive. Right. Um, 
So we deal with that. So we've got the already, but not yet. We're in this in-between period. But the good news is he has come to do this. And that's what brings us joy because God has kept his promise to send a Redeemer because he sent the Redeemer, because that Redeemer came, gave his life on the cross, rose again from the dead, has ascended to the Father, we live in joy and anticipation that he's coming again. Yeah. So we have the already, but it's not the fullness yet. Right. And there it is. That's the last verse in Psalm 98, Yeah. where uh, before the Lord, before he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Mm-hmm. So when we sort of wake up and discover, man, this this world is dark. There seems like it's just filled with injustice, uh, filled with prejudice and inequality. We we don't just lose hope. Like we look forward to the day. Christ has come. He has fully paid for our sins, mm-hmm. uh, liberated us from the curse of our sins. But there is also coming a day where He will come as righteous Judge, righteous King, and on that day, perfect justice, perfect equity. Yes. And so we have a song that already, like, but not yet. Yeah. So we have like joy to the world, which is both a song of celebration and anticipation. That's right. Yeah. And isn't that what every Sunday is about? Yeah. The celebration of who he is and what he's done and the anticipation of him bringing that to fullness. You know, I love the word in Philippians 1, 6, having this confidence that he who hath begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. What God starts, he finishes. So we celebrate that and we live in anticipation of that. Yep. Uh, We finish every service with that as Mm -hmm. we uh, take communion together, come to the table of the Lord to say there is a finished work of the cross that has accomplished, past tense, mm-hmm. has accomplished your salvation. And at the same time, uh, the New Testament says that every time we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death yeah, until he comes he again. Comes. Yeah. And so we're already but not yet. We're already saved, already finished work of Christ, and yet there is coming a day where uh, his return is glorious and doesn't look anything like I, I don't know what 2022 has in store. Uh, it will not match up to the coming of Christ. No. It, you're going to be disappointed on some level. No. And here's the great thing. There has never been a greater opportunity for the gospel yeah. than today. Yeah, I agree. And when you look at what we have available to us, oh my goodness. And, and I'm thinking, I didn't even tell you this, Saturday night, uh, because of the miracle of technology, uh, I'm going to be preaching via Zoom to several congregations in the Philippines. All right. Who would have thought in my lifetime we would ever see that? With, right. With the somebody opportunity- in Indiana, physically in, in Indiana, Indiana, able to preach to congregations well, on the other side and, of the world. And Sunday morning, as you're calling the kids forward to pray, we've got an eight-year-old in Indonesia who goes up to the television, and they send us a picture of yeah. this, and she's like this. Yeah, I put that on the church's Facebook. Isn't that incredible? I mean, you think of those opportunities. Think of the opportunities as well, because people know that our world is broken. And there has been, I don't remember a time when there was less sense of hope than there right. is now. And what an opportunity that we serve a risen Savior. Yeah. 
Christians yeah. should live different. Yes, they point. should. It, 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 the darker things get, uh, the more brightly the gospel shines. And it doesn't matter who's in the White House. That's right. It, it, what matters is who is on the throne. And we need to remind ourselves of that. Yeah. I, I think we get so bombarded of things. I mean, I heard terrible news this morning <laughs> coming from the media. Yes. That they had to admit that the chance of some kid getting COVID and dying of COVID is one in a million. And yet you listen to the news, and it's the end of the world. <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. Uh, so there is such a sense of hopelessness that, you know, fear, yeah. it sells. Fear, it does, absolutely. And uh, the glorious truth is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is our hope. Yeah. We celebrate because God fulfilled his promise in the Old Testament by sending his son who came, who lived, who died for our sins, rose again, ascended to the Father. We celebrate that, and now we live in anticipation because he is coming again. Yeah. We don't know exactly when, and quite frankly, that doesn't matter whether I've got it figured out or not. What matters is he said it. And he's going to do it. Mm -hmm. And so we live differently than the world. Yeah. Not like an ostrich who buries its head in the sand, but we recognize what's going on around us and say, hey, you know what, folks? Things may look dark, but yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because thou art with me. Yeah, yeah no matter how dark it is, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Amen. And he's coming again. Like yes, that, that should be the way that we live in this coming year. And no matter what we're going through, and it's, it's important for us. I think one of the great things of gathering together as the saints is we remind ourselves of that in yeah. the midst of what we're going through. Because when we're going through it alone, it's easy for fear, let's just call it what it is, self-pity to take over, yep. poor me, and there's something glorious about coming together where we remind ourselves that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. He is in total control. He is coming together. And he is working all things together yeah. for our good and his glory. Good. Uh, so Sunday morning, where else are you going to be? Uh, well, Sunday morning I'll be at uh, the Emma Church. I'll be preaching there at 9 o'clock and yeah. then get here for... Uh, the second hour, so retirement is great. Yeah, you are the busiest retired person I've ever met. <laughs> hey, I I decided I'm I'm gonna wear out, not sit around and rust out. <laughs> I want to be busy for Jesus. Good, good. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining our podcast. Uh, we look forward to worshiping with you this coming Lord's Day. Uh, 10 a.m. Sunday school starts at 9 a.m. If you want to be here for that. Um, any final words as we? leave hey be encouraged jesus christ is lord joy to the world the lord has come he dwells in our hearts by faith and every place we go the creator god of the universe goes with us because he dwells in our hearts by yeah, faith that's right that's the greatest encouragement i can think of right we are bringing the joy to the world with us amen who lives within us so all right well god bless you bless uh, you have a great week we'll see you on sunday